Strangeology Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Foran, and this is your place to explore the weird, strange, and unexplained. From cryptids and creatures, the paranormal, aliens and UFOs, forbidden knowledge, ancient mysteries, conspiracies, and more. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for hanging out today. Coming up on today's episode is a very interesting conversation all about the stacked time hypothesis, along with time slips, cryptids, and shadow people. So thank you for bearing with me, everybody, while you all waited an extra week for this episode to come out. I don't know what it's been about 2023, but it has been curveball after curveball, and every Monday for the past three weeks has been a snow day for my kids. And also during the week, maybe someone gets sick. (laughs) So all of this has been throwing off my production schedule a ton. And just this past week, my partner had surgery and I haven't had as much time as usual to take care of things with strangeology and get things back on track for new episode production and and content creation, but I'm back for this one and I'm stoked for this episode. Honestly, I can't wait for you all to listen to it. But before we get started here, I have just a couple announcements. First off, I'd like to welcome a brand new member to the Patreon. Brandon, welcome aboard. If you are a new listener or didn't know, Strangeology has a Patreon. So if you want to support the show and what I'm doing here with exploring the world of the weird, the strange, and unexplained, you can join for as little as $1 a month. And there are also higher tiers with more benefits like shoutouts, voting power for new episodes and topics I will be covering, getting sneak peeks at new merch, along with getting access to exclusive merch, ad-free and early access to new podcast episodes, as well as access to the members-only episode extension called Strangeology Beyond, which is sometimes an extension of the main episode topic, or it's an entirely different topic and episode in and of itself. There's also a t-shirt of the month club as well, featuring designs from my home state cryptid collection that has the most popular cryptids for each state in the U.S. And I'm also, this one's kind of a back burner, but I've been chipping away at doing Canada as well. And eventually we'll try to do some other countries too to throw in the mix. It's a really good time, full of awesome and passionate people who love all out Fortiana, so you should definitely check it out. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash strangeology. And we hope to see you there. And it's the end of 2023. It's been a wild year. We've covered some really interesting topics. I've had a lot of guests on the show this year, more so than previous years of the show. And this one might be my last episode of the year. I do have a new research episode in the works, one that I've been wanting to do for a long time, but with the holiday and everything else going on, this one's probably not going to happen until after the new year. I can't make any promises that it'll happen before. I'm going to try my best, but this whole year has just been totally flat out. But I did want to announce that I have been accepted to vend at three events for next year, 2024. 
and I'm really excited about all of them. And there's a few additional ones that I'm working on getting involved with to vend at as well, and some that they haven't had the call out yet for vendors, but I plan on doing those again, like the Sasquatch Calling Festival in Whitehall, New York. Definitely planning on going to that one again, because that one is a super fun time. But for next year so far, officially, I'm going to be vending at the Withville UFO Festival in Withville, Virginia. That happens in early June. I'm going to be at Monster Fest again, Monster Fest number two in Ohio. And that one this time is happening in late June. And I'm also going to be at Squonkapalooza number two. And that happens in Johnstown, Pennsylvania in August. So I'm really going to be trying to hit as many shows as I can next year because it's always super fun and awesome to meet supporters and listeners of the show or people who just want to stop by and chat about strange experiences that they've had or people who follow my content online and to hang out with all the other awesome people who are part of the Cryptid and Fortean community. So I'll have more details for all of those shows as their dates draw closer. So definitely stay tuned. All right. I don't really have any other updates, so let's just get into the show. For this episode, I brought on Mike Ricksecker, who is an author and researcher into all things Fortean, cryptid, and paranormal. You may recognize him from some TV shows that he's been on, and this was a truly fascinating conversation. Enjoy. All right, folks, welcome back to the show today. Joining me is author, researcher, and filmmaker, Mike Ricksecker. I'm really excited to have you on today, Mike. Uh, How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you. I appreciate being on today. Great, great. Uh, So you've got a pretty wide array of things that you're involved in, a a lengthy resume, if you will. Can you give the listeners a, a an overview of, of what you're all about and what you do. I mean, uh, primarily uh, I'm an author. I have 13 books to my credit. Uh, most recent release here just at the very beginning of August was uh, Travels Through Time Inside the Fourth Dimension, Time Travel and Stack Time Theory. Uh, people may recognize me from a handful of different television shows. I've been on uh, some episodes of Ancient Aliens, Unexplained with William Shatner, The Alaska Triangle, which is my book, uh, Alaska's Mysterious Triangles based off of and and some other some uh, programs there on Gaia TV as well. That's very, very cool stuff. I'm sure there's some listeners out there that will recognize your voice or your face if you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcasting platforms. So can you tell me uh, what's the Mike Ricksecker origin story? How did you get into all of the strange, unexplained paranormal phenomena? Yeah, uh, you know, kind of like a lot of other people uh, that get into the strange and unexplained is something strange and unexplained happened to me. And this goes back all the way to uh, when I was about eight years old, woke up in the middle of the night. There's a tall, dark figure standing in the the corner of my bedroom. And, uh, you know, I've done a lot of research on uh, shadow people, shadow entities. I have a book, A Walk in the Shadows on that. 
uh, my series, The Shadow Dimension, as as well, which is on uh, Roku Channel and, and Tubi TV. But uh, yeah, at that point in time, as a kid, I had no idea uh, about shadow entities and beings and this sort of thing. I thought there was just, you know, somebody had broken into the house and, you know, was going to rob the place, kill me. I don't know. I mean, that's, about, that's where your mind goes at that age. And I'd seen enough, you know, TV and movies at that point to figure out that uh, I had enough time to gasp and, you know, that was it. I was going to be done. But uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, I'm still alive to tell the tale, which is good, but did do something very unusual. So this, this being approached my bed, leaned over and I'm staring into this blank black face. There's just nothing there. No, no eyes, no nose, no mouth, no facial features that, that I could recognize. And I'm trying to scream, you know, my mouth opens up, nothing comes out of my mouth. But did something quite unusual at that point. It grabbed me by the wrists, crossed my arms across my body, and then ran off down the hall and of all places into a closet. Uh, by that point, I found my voice, found my legs, ran off screaming in my parents' bedroom. And you know, I have very nice parents. They're trying to calm me down, console me, trying to tell me that I just had a bad dream. But I knew I hadn't had a bad dream. This, this was something that I was awake for and truly experienced. And so that was my first really significant paranormal experience and i had several after not not at that house that house i would never call like a haunted house or anything like that but um you know, after we moved from there elsewhere i had some other experiences but that's really where i got my start yeah yeah that's um i feel like a lot of uh people report similar experiences um and it's just one of these unexplained things now you're from ohio originally uh correct if I'm not mistaken. And there's definitely a lot of high strangeness in, in that part of the country for sure. So uh, this kind yeah, of phenomenon yeah, originally, seems to go, be anywhere, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Originally from Ohio, I'd moved from there when I was about three uh, to Massachusetts. And that's where I had that experience. But when I was 13, I moved back to Ohio and uh, yeah, experienced more strange things. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yes. Well, um, I am wondering um, as I was looking through all the things you do, you have something that's called the connected universe portal. Can you speak yeah. about what that is? Absolutely. Yeah. The connected universe portal is a online learning site. Uh, I have, there's a members area, but there's also a couple of standalone, uh, courses like one on ancient Egypt. Uh, there's another on, uh, shadow beings that takes you through, you know, all the different kinds and the type of phenomena, whether they're, um, you know, interdimensional beings and you know, a lot of different uh, ideas and topics. Um, so those are a couple of standalone courses out there. But then the member side uh, gives you access to the, uh, the the full classes that we do every uh, Wednesday night. There's behind the scenes videos, uh, monthly Q and A's. Uh, there's a whole bunch of articles back there. Um, I do a, like a lot of uh, video blogging. Uh, and then uh, you get everything from that I have on uh, ancient Egypt from the couple of times that have been over there. We do a yearly tour on that Stargates of Ancient Egypt tour. Uh, so the next one's coming up in April. Then uh, you know, there's Ireland uh, travel vlogs out there, American Southwest. And so, you know, basically kind of step-by-step -step through all these uh, wonderful areas. And so that's, that's the member side of the portal. So there's a lot going on out there. Yeah, that sounds like a great uh, website and, and program. Definitely people check that out. I'll link it in the show notes for sure. So I've been looking into 
some stories about things like time slips and time travel lately. And maybe it's synchronicity, but you've recently published this brand new book that's all about that subject matter and a whole bunch more. And this is a brand new release. I would love to hear uh, some highlights uh, if you're willing to talk about uh, some of your findings in that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So travels through time. Um, yeah, it, it breaks down, uh, you know, what time really is. You know, time is just a human construct. You know, it doesn't really exist. We use it as a tool to keep track of our, you know, days, seasons, uh, try to get to work at the right moment. So your boss doesn't get upset with you, that sort of thing. So it breaks down what time really is. It uh, explores the possibilities of real-time travel and how that might be possible. So we start, uh, you know, getting into the idea of, okay, the different dimensions. We see time, time travel in ancient symbolism. Uh, get into the different phenomena regarding uh, time slips like you were talking about, uh, what I call the doppelganger effect. Uh, uh, instances in which the future is influencing the present dreams and eternal knowledge. There's a lot of different areas that, uh, that we cover within this book. Yes. Yes. Um, what would be, uh, one of your favorite, uh, time slip stories? Oh, there's several. Um, yeah, I have an entire chapter dedicated to that, but, um, probably, uh, people know about the Versailles time slip and I, I start the chapter off with that one, kind of, uh, review it, but, Really, one of my favorite ones um, regards the the Conjuring House in uh, or what they call the Conjuring House in Rhode Island. That uh, you know the Perrin family haunting that uh, the movie The Conjuring was based off of. And you know that particular haunting very very different than what happened in the movie. And this was something that lasted uh, over a ten year period of time. But in the middle of all of that, um, and I'm very good friends with with Andrea Perrin, the oldest daughter. In the middle of that, of all that, is something that Andrea even says herself was like the most significant thing that ever happened at that house, and it was a type of time slip. And what happened was, uh, she and her mother were were up one night. In fact, Andrea had been up first, and her mother got up, um, you know, wanted some coffee, something to eat, that sort of thing. And as you know, Andrea's helping her mom prepare, preparing all this. Carolyn's sitting in the parlor. And as she's looking out into the dining room area, she sees suddenly morphing into existence this 17th century family. And that's, you know, this house dates back to that time frame. And, you know, there's a there's a woman cooking over an open hearth. And that at that time in the 1970s, that fireplace was closed up. A couple of kids running around. And there's two gentlemen sitting at a table with pewter steins. And they turn and they look at Carolyn, who's sitting in the parlor. And the one guy remarks to the other, well, would you look at that as if Carolyn was the ghost? It was an absolutely fascinating moment. Uh, and you know, I, I believe I understand, at least in part, you know, what helped to you know, power that whole thing, that whole event. Uh, was fascinating about this house. And right below where Carolyn was sitting is what they call the well room because there's an open well. And, you know, it's a, it's still open to this day. There's water in there and all of that. But then the room itself is constructed of limestone uh, walls capped with granite blocks. And this is something that we see in a lot of our you know, ancient construction, especially in Egypt. Limestone, granite, there's water nearby. 
And so this is acting like a perfect little power plant to really charge that house. And some of the most significant significant things that happened in the house were basically straight up from this well room. So you have this time slip and then uh, above in the second floor, there's uh, that would have been Andrea's bedroom and all kinds of crazy activity happened there. But uh, yeah, that's that's one of my favorite. Yeah, that's super interesting. And the more I've looked into paranormal phenomena, hauntings and that kind of thing, the role that the geology plays is becoming more and more evident that that's a it's a big factor, whether it's quartz crystals or limestone, anything like that. And then you can also kind of look at something like stone tape theory, too, for like residual replays and, and stuff like that. It's very very fascinating stuff. Now, as far as something like time travel, is this something that's ever going to be possible? Or do you think there could be time travelers today that we just don't recognize or know that they're here? Yeah, I I do. And, you know, time slip itself is you know, a, a type of, of time travel. Um, it's really, you know, two moments in time that happen, you're resonating at the same frequency for just a moment, you get a glimpse of another thing. So, you know, while they didn't stay within, uh, you know, that moment of existence for very long, it's still, they were able to. And, uh, yeah, I think we're eventually going to, to get there. Um, I think there are time travelers today that, you know, are <laughs> amongst us. Um, but you know, when, when you take a look at theoretical physics, you know, they scientists will go down the route of either, you know, we, you know, we need to build a machine that uses uh, you know, X amount of energy, you know, might need to harness energy of the sun, you know, crazy things like that. Or we need to go to a, ba- a black hole where the black hole is bending space and time. It's like, okay, we're not getting to a black hole anytime soon, and we're not harnessing that much energy. Um, so we have to look at other things. And um so I have something to call stack time theory. And it's really, you know, it's a it's an idea that I started playing around with like a couple of decades ago. And as I continued to do research, I discovered, oh, you know, Einstein was uh kind of toying around with this sort of idea uh within his ideas of the of the space-time continuum, and then uh his concepts of what he called the block universe. And I basically was on the same path, but I took it a couple steps further and with stack time theory, the way I, what I liken it to is take you know, where you're sitting right now, every moment in time that has happened is happening or will happen are all happening concurrently in that space. And each of those moments are stacked on top of each other like photographs. And so when we have something like a time slip, it's really like two of those photographs in the stack that again are resonating at the same frequency and kind of bleed over into each other for a moment. So when it comes to real time travel, we would basically have to uh, allow our consciousness to step out of where we're at right now, which is the fourth dimension, up to the fifth dimension to be able to essentially see that stack of time and be able to find the moment to go to. And I believe that will have more to do uh, again with the with the consciousness and being able to will your consciousness and be, being able to tune its frequency into one of these moments. Very interesting. Now, going back to to things like time slips and P 
people seeing certain things like uh, mm -hmm. whether it's an apparition or even like a cryptid or a UFO? Do you think this could explain some of these things that people report seeing that there's really no tangible evidence for? Some of them, um, and perhaps even many of them. Now, some of the, you know, some people in the ufology community have, um, you know, gone, gone so far as to say, and I think they're on the right track, that uh, UFOs, UAPs are not extraterrestrials from another planet. They're ourselves, time travelers from the future. And, you know, I, I give it credence, but not all. And I think we kind of make that mistake sometimes where we come up with an idea and say, oh, well, Oh, it's a great idea. It's plausible. So that must be what all of these cases are. It's like, no, 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 no. Some of them, sure. But I do believe that we have physical craft coming from, uh, you know, other planets that have, uh, you know, landed here, or crashed here and, and what have you. Uh, but the idea that some of these are uh, time travelers that are us from the future, I think is certainly plausible. And uh, again, I'll take it a step further. I don't necessarily believe that it's you know, just us from the future. You know, you got to think about this. You know, our our planet is four and a half billion years old. It's got another five billion years to go. Humanity has only been around here for a very, very short period of time of that. In fact, if you look at the dinosaurs, which went extinct 65 million years ago, that was just over 1% of the age of the planet ago. You know, so yes. that's a long time. You know, humans weren't around. So um, how long are we going to continue to last on this planet, you know, humans seem to think, oh yeah, we're, you know, we're gonna last forever. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. But, um, you know, so if we destroy ourselves, if conditions become such on this planet that we can no longer survive on it, and maybe we have to leave, you know, the planet to be able to survive elsewhere. Um, at some point in the future, the extraterrestrial race may find this planet, come here, colonize, you know, build themselves up, build up their technology, and let's say they also develop the ability for time travel and they are curious about the planet's history and go back in time to take a look. Well, okay, it's a time traveler. Yes, they're from Earth, but they're still an extraterrestrial from some other planet. So there's, a, and there's other different scenarios that we could look at with that. So um, I leave a lot of possibilities open and don't just pigeonhole myself into to one idea here. We have to explore all these different ideas. Yeah, that's a really fascinating theory about you hear the time travel idea a lot as future humans, but it could very well be some other species that came to our planet in the far future um, or maybe even perhaps uh, some long gone ancient civilization in the past that went extinct. Uh, thinking of the Silurian hypothesis, uh, which is a really fascinating um fascinating thing for sure. Uh, now what's your opinion on the, the simulation theory and you're thinking of like the multiverse, uh, different layers of reality, like your stack time hypothesis, yeah. how, how would something like this play into that? Well, that's, that's a great question. Cause I do have an entire chapter on that one as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I believe we're living in a simulation, but I don't necessarily believe it's a computer simulation. Like we see in the matrix and other references to it. I mean, we, we liken it to a, a computer simulation now because that's our context. You know, that's our, uh, most advanced technology that we have right now. And so that's the, 
the context that we put the idea of a simulated universe into. You, you think back to uh, Nikola Tesla, and he had uh, you know built what he called uh, an automaton, which was really a drone, and he had ideas for building an automaton of himself, and basically putting artificial intelligence of it. You know, he wanted to create like a, a sentient being. Now, his idea though is, you know, we're using gears and wheels and radio waves. He had no idea about the silicon microchip at that point in time. So again, his ideas for that technology was in a very, very different context than what we've developed now. So therefore, you know, whatever it is that's powering this simulation is probably far beyond what we are conceptualizing right now. All of that said, <laughs> um, I think it's going to be something more that's kind of organic, biological, maybe molecular in nature. Um, if you look even back to our uh, ancient texts, our ancient religious beliefs, you have, they basically talk about us being in a simulation without using that term. So like uh, you know, Eastern traditions uh, talk about reincarnation. And so what we have here is the idea that we are coming from somewhere else called the home world, for lack of a better term. We come down here to earth, kind of quote unquote, log in. We live out our life. This is the simulation. And then when our life is over, we go back up to that home world, start the whole, the whole thing all over again. It's, it's the same thing as you know, logging into a computer program. Maybe it's a flight simulator. It could be a computer game, whatever it is. Um, playing around for a while, you know, uh, going through that simulation, learning something, whatever it is, and then we log back out, which is, you know, kind of the same thing as, you know, passing away. So our ancient texts are already talking about this sort of thing. Now, looking at it from the perspective of time, I mean, this is some other plane of existence, some other dimension that's out there. We don't know if it's the fifth, sixth, seventh, whatever. We have up to uh, 11 uh, hyperspatial dimensions. So we don't know which one that's on, but it's it's up there somewhere. And so their concept of time is very different than ours. And they are able to look at it from that location, almost like we would look at an object. Like everything, we're on the fourth dimension. Everything that is below us, we can see and interact with. We can't really do that with dimensions above us. We might get glimpses of them sometime and not really understand what it is we're seeing or looking at. And so, um, yeah, it, it really, uh, there's so many rabbit holes that we could go down with uh, with simulation theory. Uh, oh, yes. Talking about, you know, consciousness, it could choose where it wants to go. So, you know, I'm living, you know, right now, 2023, but part of my consciousness because I believe all time is existent at the same time. Another part of my consciousness might be back in, I don't know, uh, the 1400s, another, you know, back in, you know, 2000 BC. It, it's all over the place. And another in, you know, 2133. Yeah, yeah. It's very, it's hard to wrap your mind around that kind of thing, but it's a, a super fascinating theory that you know you have all these ancient religions talking about something that's a very similar concept to this simulation theory whether it's christianity or hinduism mm -hmm. or buddhism you know and especially with buddhism with the idea of reincarnation you're logging in to learn some lesson or work out your karma and then you 
start the cycle all over again. And maybe it's just this consciousness source field that the universe wanting to experience itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, uh, shifting gears a bit, you are uh, a filmmaker. You've been involved with uh, several TV shows and you've been uh, working on this docu-series called The Shadow Dimension. I'd love to hear about this and your research mm-hmm. into this whole phenomenon of, of shadow people. Obviously you had an experience as a child. Um, so this was probably a big catalyst for, you know, something that you wanted to look into very seriously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Shadow Dimension docuseries, a six part series, um, running on Tubi TV and Roku channels. Well, some other smaller streaming platforms right now. Um, yeah, it dives into uh, what shadow people are, uh, what they may be, uh, recounting experiences from several people who have had encounters. Uh, we get into a lot of the different ideas and theories about who they are, where they come from, that sort of thing. And then we go to locations that have had reported shadow activity as well as reported portal activity, see if there's a relationship, there's a correlation. Now, this was filmed during uh, COVID, so uh, we're a little bit limited. Uh, as far as what we could do, where we could go. Uh, the two primary locations are the aforementioned Conjuring House and then Mineral, Sp- Mineral Springs Hotel in Alton, Illinois. Uh, we do have a second part here that is in post-production, hoping to get that out uh, by the end of the year, fingers crossed. And there's a lot of work yes. still be done there. But um, but yeah, this was um, a really fascinating uh, journey to to explore this phenomenon a little bit more closely. Yeah, that's um, that's really uh, a cool project to be involved with. Uh, now, there's a few different types of of like shadow entities that people encounter. What are the different types? And I'm also wondering: Are you familiar with the Hat Man story? Would he classify yeah, uh, yeah. something like that? <laughs> so, yeah, when we talk. Uh, shadow beings and they are all kinds of different things so a lot of times i get the question what's a shadow person it's like okay how much time do we have because they can be a lot of different things and there are different types because uh you know human mind tries to um you know categorize compartmentalize uh what we see and experience to make better sense of it so um so yeah you know there's like the uh what we call the humanoid figure which is just your basic um you know shadow person there's uh there's hat wearing entities like that there's hooded figures there's crawlers there's mist wisps all these different kinds so my book a walk in the shadows uh inside uh the complete guide to shadow people the very the first part of that book is all on the different types um and we get into the relationship with sleep paralysis and get into uh you know, what they really are in the third part you know the interdimensional beings or the extraterrestrials all of that sort of thing um, and then the last part, uh, part four is on, there's a lot of people, uh, out there believe that you know, all the shadow people are evil, nasty, nefarious, you know, darkest, the dark, et cetera. And so I try to shed some light on that aspect of it in that fourth part. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, where exactly do you think these things come from? Are they an archetype of our psyche? Are they from another dimension? Just what's yeah, it the de- deal? It depends on the particular shadow. Um, 
you know, it's, I mean, some of these, you know, they're human spirit that, uh, that, you know, that's a person that has passed away. And sometimes, you know, they might manifest into our plane of existence as a, as an apparition and have a little interaction or whatever, but sometimes they can't fully manifest as an apparition and they just come off as a shadow. Uh, some of these are extraterrestrials. They have you know, come down here to earth or they may be traveling interdimensionally. They may be projecting their consciousness. They could be at uh, ETs in a variety of different ways. They could be utilizing some cloaking device that they may think that is uh, going to make them look invisible, but don't fully understand the physiology of our eyes. And to us, it comes off as a shadow. Um, you know, I believe a lot of these are interdimensional beings from uh, you know, some other plane of existence. And you know they may they may look like something else uh, from whatever dimension they are coming from, and uh, with us, it comes off as as a shadow. So it really just depends on you know the type of shadow that's that specific shadow that we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. Now, do these cases happen more often during episodes of sleep paralysis for people, or can they manifest any time? Yeah, they happen all the time. Um, you know, it's not just at night. It's not just associated with sleep. Um, you know, some people see these things in broad daylight. Uh, you know, sometimes it's out in the woods. Sometimes they just might be in the kitchen and see something dart down the hall. Um, you know, they, they happen in all different times of night, all different conditions, all different locations. Uh, now there, there is of course, yeah, some association with with sleep paralysis because that's where a lot of the stories come from. You know, people like my very first one. Um, yeah, I woke up in the middle of the night and there was this tall, dark shadow person. Now I've seen, I can tell you how many shadows over the course of my life. Um, you know, the, the next time that I had seen, uh, shadows after that, I was 13 years old, moving into a new house and I'm just unpacking boxes, putting things away. And there was one that kept coming up to my door and I turned and look and the thing would dart off. And this happened a number of different times. And my mother even saw this thing. Um, so, you know, the large variety here. Um, but the ones that are associated with sleep paralysis, now, a lot of people try to say, well, you know, it's evil, demonic, whatever. They're an energy vampire, a lot of different ideas and theories. And, you know, the idea there is that, you know, they are, uh, intentionally imparting this paralysis on a person. And this is where the medical community jumps in. And unfortunately they make a carte blanche statement of saying, well, no, these, uh, you know, these shadow entities, these nighttime intruders, they're just a uh, hallucination out of the dream state. And so it's like, well, again, you know, we see these things all different times of day and all different situations. It's not just related to sleep. So if I'm in the kitchen and I see a shadow run down the hallway. How does that have anything to do with my dream state from the night before? Doesn't make any sense. Um, but sleep paralysis is a real biological phenomenon that that is completely legit. It does happen. I've experienced it. Um, and the way I've experienced it is a little bit uh, differently where I, um, rather than waking up and having paralysis, I've actually done it the opposite in which um, my body was so exhausted that it shut down on me and I was consciously awake and aware of everything in my mind, but could not move the body because it just was done. And that, that's a little bit more of a uh, rare occurrence, but that does happen. 
Um, and, but basically what the body is doing here with sleep paralysis is that you know, while you're sleeping is trying to prevent your body from acting out your dreams. Now, every once in a while, of course, you know, it's, it's not foolproof because sometimes, you know, you accidentally uh, kick your significant other in bed, but it's, you know, but it's, that's the function. That's what's supposed to happen. And there are times in which we wake up and that effect hasn't stopped. So when it comes to um, this relationship with the nighttime entities, well, this is, this is what I say is um, and people who have had small children can relate to this is that um, there are times child comes into the room. My youngest son, Cameron was notorious for this child comes into the room. Usually at late at night like that, you know, they have a bad dream, you go to the bathroom, you need to drink water, whatever. They usually tap you on the shoulder, shake you awake and you go take care of it. But like my young son, uh, youngest son, Cameron, and you know, others you know, have, have had children do this too. Uh, he would stand there at the edge of the bed and just stare. <laughs> and it's really creepy because you, know, you wake up, oh my God, Cameron, what, what are you doing? Oh, I had a bad dream. You go to the bathroom, whatever, whatever it is. Okay, take care of it. You know, next time, you know, tap me on the shoulder because that's just creepy, right? So then the question becomes, well, if he didn't tap me on the shoulder or shake me awake or whatever, what was it that woke me up? And essentially it's his presence. The human body has a toroidal field of energy that emanates out from it. It extends several feet, like up to 10, 15 feet sometimes. And, you know, it's, it's like, the, um, you know, you could have your back to a doorway and all of a sudden somebody walks into the room. You didn't hear him, but you feel, oh, somebody's hearing to turn around, somebody's there. Uh, you, you feel their presence. And so basically when his uh, toroidal field of energy crossed into mine while I was sleeping, I could feel that. That's what woke me up. So I believe the same thing is happening with these shadow entities, that they you know, appear in the room and they also have their own energy and their energy field crosses into ours. And that wakes us up. And we turn and we look um, and we see this figure standing there. We don't usually immediately jump to, oh, there's a shadow person here that's trying to, you know, paralyze me or whatever. We usually go to there. There's an intruder in the house. Somebody's broken in. You know, that's usually the thought. Um, but then the body, not always, but sometimes will still be in that paralysis state. And now I can't move. And it's like, there's an intruder in the house. I can't move. You know, adrenaline starts racing and you kind of tumble down this, uh, this rabbit hole. But, um, yeah, get, but the sleep paralysis doesn't always happen because people have woken up, see these things, they're able to move about. I, one one guy shared a story with me that uh, he woke up to the thing sitting on his chest, kind of like the old hag syndrome sort of thing, but yeah. he actually grabbed it, threw it off the bed, and they went tumbling to the ground together. Um, so yeah, it's um, it. I, the way I chalk it up is there are two phenomena one biological in nature one supernatural in nature they just happen to be occurring at the same time yeah that's a a very very fascinating um sometimes disturbing for people <laughs> type of phenomenon yeah. no, and I get uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> i've I've, I've experienced i haven't experienced sleep paralysis in a long time but back when i was in college there were a few incidents where i was just so exhausted that i was laying down 
on my dorm room bed and I conked out um, physically, but my mind was still fully awake. I could hear my roommates playing their video games, watching TV, eating food or whatever. And I just couldn't yeah, So you had it like move. I did. Yeah. 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 No, <laughs> no shadow entities, but um, just the right. uh, kind of weird feeling of teeth um, trying to press into my skull, which was not fun, but <laughs> oh. yeah. Yeah. Um, now let's see. So shifting gears again from shadow people, you've been involved with multiple shows like ancient aliens, as you said, or the unexplained, uh, that's all, all very fun and cool stuff. Uh, but you're also, you've also been involved with the, uh, travel channels, Alaska triangle show. And I would love to hear about, uh, your work with this. And, uh, if you can tell us a few cool stories that you've found out about while, while working on this show. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a, it was a surprise to work on the show. They had contacted me originally, um, because they came across one of my videos on YouTube about, uh, portals and supernatural activity and the relationship between them. It's funny is it was one of my least viewed videos <laughs> at the time. And, uh, I had other ones that, you know, tens of thousands of views. And this one had a couple hundred and they found it They're like, okay, cool. So we're, we're talking and, um, you know, we got on a zoom call and everything. And, uh, you know, they're asking me about different, you know, phenomena about, you know, portals, electromagnetism, ley lines, all that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, they asked me, well, at some point in the conversation, well, what do you know about uh, this type of stuff happening in Alaska? And I was like, well, there's the Alaska Triangle. And they're like, oh, that's the exact name of our television show. And I'd known something about it because I spent three years in Alaska during the early to mid nineties when I was enlisted in the U S air force. So 1992, 1995. And so, um, so I got to see some, some strange things firsthand while I was up there. So that was, uh, so they flew me up there. It was very cool, uh, to kind of go back, visit some of my old haunts. And then uh, we did, uh, we did the filming on the side of flat top mountain, just outside of Anchorage. And, uh, you know, there's still, even though it was May, you know, still snow on the ground and all kinds of stuff like that up there. Uh, it was a little chilly, but, uh, but yeah, you know, there's, you know, people when we talk about the Alaska Triangle are usually like, oh, I, I didn't know there was a Alaska Triangle. You know, where did this thing come from? It's like, well, they're, cause they're all familiar with Bermuda. In fact, uh, long ago, it was referred to as Alaska's Bermuda Triangle, which kind of silly. Um, but uh, yeah, these triangle areas of the world, they're all over. You know, there's several uh, specific locations uh, like Bermuda, Alaska. There's a dragon triangle out in uh, by Japan, which the history for that is like far older than even Bermuda. Um, Lake Michigan Triangle, Bridgewater, all kinds of interest. And I just, and when I was out in Ireland, learned of one that's there. So, uh, so yeah, they're, they're all over. And basically what's happening is you have that, uh, you know, the magnetism from the Earth's core that rises up out of the ground so that you know, can protect our planet from solar flares and, and all that sort of thing. And as it uh, rises up through like the, the mantle and the crust is interacting with different metals and minerals and things like that uh, within the ground. And so it creates different magnetic fields depending on what it's interacting with. And you know, in these particular triangle areas, there's something significant 
within the ground there that's causing this this to happen. And so, like a lot of things that'll happen um, you know, when you hear of like you know, Flight 19 in, in Bermuda or some of these missing airplanes in Alaska, or even some of the crazy things that have happened with ships uh, up there, you know, the you know, the navigational equipment uh, will will go awry. You know, whether it's compasses or other type of equipment, all of a sudden it just starts acting haywire. And you know their their guidance is thrown off. Um, you know the one ship up there, the uh, Princess Sophia, crashes into a reef. Uh, you know planes get off course. You know never seen or heard from again. You know bizarre things like that uh, happen quite regularly. Yeah, yeah, and you know you've got these high profile cases of mm-hmm. things like uh, it was uh, Hale Boggs the former Senate yeah. majority leader in the seventies. And there was uh who was it? Um, Nick Begich. Nick, Nick Begich. Yeah. He, and he was an Alaskan congressman and their plane was going up for some political rally, I think. And, and they just completely disappeared. And there's yep. all these cases like that. Um, yeah. They were headed to Juneau from Anchorage. They were flying through the Portage pass last anybody knew. And completely gone. Uh, the largest search and rescue mission uh, at that point in history was launched. I Me mean, talking about you know, major political uh, leader here. They're using spy planes and all kinds of stuff. And to this day, not a single thing has been found. Yeah, that's wild. It's been, what, 50, 50 years or so? <laughs> yeah. And there's a no, lot of... Uh, just over 50 years. Yeah. And there's a lot of theories about what what happened, aren't there? Um, what, what do you kind of lean towards with what's the explanation? There's some different ideas here. Um, you know, interesting, uh, thing that came out a few years back was, um, there was an individual who came forward, uh, to the Alaska state police. It's about, I think 10 years ago. And he was involved in a lot of crime in the area. And he was basically, setting the record straight, giving up information. I, I'm not quite clear on what his motives were, but basically he's uh, talking about all these different high-profile crimes that he had been involved with in the area. And one of the things that he actually mentioned was the Boggs baggage plane and that he was uh, instructed, no questions asked, he was instructed to go up to that plane. He didn't know whose plane it was at the time uh, and put a, uh, a suitcase on there and just walk away. And of course, it ends up this uh, this plane that goes missing. So some people have you know tried to get the uh, case reopened, you know, more investigation to be done, this sort of thing, uh, to see if it's a bomb, some sort of explosion. And you know the authorities up there in Alaska, the FBI, all that. There's there's no evidence of an explosion. You know, there's no pieces or anything. There's you know no shrapnel, nothing. You know, and other planes have gone down in the Portage Pass. And when they have recovered those airplanes, they've never found anything to do with uh, the box baggage plane. So that's one idea that's been put out there. Um, and, and some planes, sure, kind of naturally, yeah, will, will go missing because whatever weather conditions and they're found later on. But some of them, um, if we still haven't been able to find to this day, one of the ideas that's been postulated is that they are slipping through portals that are opened up as a result of the electromagnetism from the Alaska Triangle. And it's a measurable uh, electromagnetism. This is something that back in the 1960s, the U.S. Par- Department of the Interior, uh, they actually surveyed. 
And, and it was only like one sixth of the state. And you got to think about this, you know, Alaska's over 600,000 square miles. It's, it's huge. It's more than two and a half times, more than two and a half times the size of Texas. Yeah, it's massive. Um, so they surveyed about 100,000 square miles of it. And just within you know, one sixth of the state here, they discovered what they fall, what they called five distinct magnetic characters. And some of these different characters included negative anomalies. That's their terminology, negative anomalies. Um, so they know that there's this significant electromagnetism up there. Um, so take something like 1950 Douglas Skymaster uh, that goes missing, coming up out of Anchorage, uh, headed toward Montana. And as it's uh, just exiting Alaska, headed over around the Snag area in Yukon Territory, goes missing. Perfectly beautiful day and just nothing. Never heard from again. Um, you know, they literally rally the troops. Uh, the U.S. military and the Canadian military at the time were doing some joint exercises together. Hold those guys off of those. Um, have them out there searching, looking, all kinds of, you know, planes flying around looking for uh, this missing Douglas Skymaster. Nothing ever found. Um wasn't even, wasn't even a month later, it was another plane, smaller, actually did crash uh, in that area. They, they found that one right away. Still no Douglas Skymaster. So like I said, one of the ideas is that it's passed through some sort of portal um, spawned up by the energy of the, uh, of the triangle. And um, I, I consider it a legitimate possibility. We... NASA acknowledges portals out in space and you know, similar type of a uh, anomaly where, you know, they open and close you know, different sizes. They're, they have satellites up there trying to figure out, you know, what's the cause of it. And they, they still haven't been able to figure oh, out, yes. they recognize that they're there. Yes, the yes. Yeah. So we know this phenomenon happens. Um, so let's think about this for a moment. We're related back to time too. So let's say you got your Douglas Skymaster that flies through a portal. Great. Where does it go? <laughs> you know, where what's the other side of the portal? Is it another dimension? Is it another point in time? And so um what I liken this to is let's let's say there's a portal to another point in time that this portal linked, you know, one of our moments in the stack of time to another moment within the stack. And We'll just put an art, we'll throw an arbitrary number out there and say 500 years ago goes back in time. Well, what would a Douglas Skymaster, very large plane, uh, look like to the indigenous people in Alaska 500 years ago? Because they have no context of what an airplane is. Right. So they know what a bird is. And now you have this very large the plane has large wings. We have this thing in the air, very large wings that's making a whole bunch of noise. Was this where some of our Thunderbird legends come from? Were they actually observing planes that had slipped through a portal and gone into the past? And now this is what they're observing in the sky. Wow. That's a theory right there. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. That's super interesting. Um, yeah. I'm familiar with that, that case too. And I remember reading uh, that there were some, really faint radio signals that yeah. people were trying trying to intercept and then they eventually just kind of faded out and the theory behind mm -hmm. that was that maybe it was the plane's last attempt to after going through whatever portal or vortex they went into right. they're trying to 
maintain contact with air traffic control and it just cut off. <laughs> yeah. Faintly came through and that was it. Yeah. And you know, um, radio waves are on a different frequency, the different wavelength than, um, physical objects. So yeah, very possible that, you know, physically, you know, we're not going to see it anymore because it is passed on into that other plane of existence, but it's possible that, you know, sound working on a different wavelength could come through until, you know, the, the portal or whatever completely closes. Yeah. Yeah. Now you spent some time stationed in Alaska. You, you mentioned, uh, were there ever, uh, ever any rumors of secret goings on up there, secret <laughs> facilities? Well, did you experience anything <laughs> bizarre going on that you could talk yeah, about? I mean, as far as like secret facilities and things like that, yes, I can't tell you what they are, or where they were. <laughs> of course. of course. <laughs> yes, there's all kinds of secret, uh, hidden things up there. And so that leads into like a lot of the, uh, stories and rumors about, you know, concerning like the Black Pyramid, is there a UFO base under Mount Hayes and all these different things? Because um, we know that there are hidden military facilities up there. Um, yeah, I mean, I observed some some things. A lot of people have asked me about UFOs. I did not see a UFO while I was there. Did people talk about UFOs while I was there? Yes, people talked about UFOs while I was up there. Um, I didn't see one myself. In fact, it, it was actually up until five, six years ago when I actually saw my first uh, UFO. So, um, those stories were certainly up there. Um, for, for me, the strange experiences that I, that I had up there as did many other people in, uh, the facility where I was at, again, it's a, it's a shadow person story. Um, ah. and this was, I was on uh, mission unexplained, uh, recently here talking about this particular story. And the one thing it was, it was a good show. They did a decent job of portraying everything. Um, but they left it as to like, I was the one having the experience. It's like, no, we were all having the experience or at least most of us. Um, because, uh, we would see, and a lot of times what happened in the, in the back office area where we would see, you know, this shadow being, or maybe sometimes multiple ones, um, you know, moving around a lot of times down this one hallway that went back to a, um, you have basically like cubicle world and then a couple of other offices in the back there. Sure. And then on the left-hand side was the uh, communication center and then a room where we had uh, you know, server racks and things like that. Um, so back behind the uh, partition world, right? Cube world. Uh, there was a spot there, kind of like a storage area where, you know, they kept other cubicle partitions. And then there was a door to an old vault no idea what was in there, never got a chance to explore it. But, um, but a lot of times, you know, these shadows would, would dart back into there. And, um, I remember when I first, you know, got to that, uh, facility, cause I'd spent a year across the street, the squadron, uh, networking center waiting for my security clearance to come in. It's a new airman takes it up to a year for that, uh, uh, to happen when I was finally cleared, I went over to the Alaska command building and it was in the basement there that we were at. And so when I had my first, uh, conversation with my supervisor, uh, which was you know, like a week or two after I first got there, cause he was like on leave or, you know, temporary duty somewhere or whatever. So he finally comes back and I'd already started to see a few things like it was weird <laughs> around here. Uh, we're sitting down, we're having a conversation in his office and just like the shadow walks by the door. And I had kind of looked at it like that. And he saw that I had reacted. This is all he said. He's like, yeah, that happens sometimes around here. <laughs> like, oh, okay. 
and just left it at that. Because this okay. was something that, yeah, you didn't want to take it too far up the chain because um, you don't want to find yourself down at mental health and have your security clearance revoked and, and all that sort of stuff. So it was really kind of like small conversations, whispers, you know, some chatter back and forth between uh, between many of us. Because you know, you'd be walking with a buddy, you know, down the little hall, maybe headed toward the, the little snack area or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, you see something walk by, and you kind of look at each other. Hmm. Um, the the prevailing story that was told to me was that um, the building had once been a hospital, and where we were at in the basement there had once been the morgue, and where the server racks were were where they kept the coolers. And it's like, okay, well, that that makes sense. These are you know some sort of human spirits, human energy, whatever that left over from the deceased that were brought down here. And that's a story that I thought for years. And when I started doing the research for Alaska's mysterious triangle, you know, I want all the facts, right? So I'm looking up information on the building and discover that it was never a hospital. It was built for exactly what it was being used for, which was command. So then I'm left scratching my head. What in the world did we witness down there? Huh. You know, because you know, there are probably at least a dozen people that I talked to while I was there that had all seen uh, the, the same thing, probably more than that. Um, so, you know, with my research into time, time slips, things like that, it got me wondering if we were perhaps seeing shadows of, of the past maybe even of the future or of ourselves, you know? So, uh, so I think that we were experiencing some sort of time slippage there in that facility. And these, these shadows were, were other personnel. Interesting. Point in time. Yeah. yeah. That's could very well be the case, especially if it wasn't actually a hospital. Um, and it's, you know, funny, you hear rumors of stuff and you actually look into it to find out what's the true story. And it's something completely different than what the, what right. all, all the hearsay <laughs> is. So <laughs> kudos to you for, for getting to the bottom of it. Um, now, so you, you, uh, mentioned that you, you never saw a UFO in, in Alaska, but there are a lot of reported sightings, a lot of yeah. sightings. <laughs> what are some of your favorite, um, uh, stories of UFO encounters up there? Um, I mean, probably the most famous uh, one is the Japanese Airlines uh, from 1986, that particular yes. incident. And um, yeah, because, uh, you know, with Captain Terauchi and, you know, what he experienced. And, you know, they got, you have all these transcripts of, you know, the radio chatter and what happened. You got a United Airlines flight that was involved. Uh, so, you know, when you know, the when the FTC, you know, got involved, um, right? FTC. Um, I think I have that organization, right? It's all those acronyms, right? It's hard uh, no, to the FAA, the FAA, sorry. The FAA got involved. Um, you know, they had a very compelling UFO case. They got the radar data and all that stuff. The only thing they really couldn't get was the uh, the radar data from the military. They wouldn't give that up, but uh, because it was all being uh, recorded there at uh, in Anchorage, you know, they have the recordings of the military chatter. Um, so they have all this compelling evidence. 
they're you know presenting it between the board of several different government agencies, FBI, CIA. You had Reagan science, uh, Reagan science team that was involved. They were really interested in what had been reported, and basically the CIA shut them down hmm. and said, "No, you're you're not talking about this. We're going to chalk it up as as something else." But um, yeah, it was uh, John Callahan. Uh, he came, he's passed away now, but he came forward some years later. He was the FAA guy and said, no, this is actually what happened. And Captain Terauchi, he was um, a poor guy. He was basically given a desk job after that in Japan because he had basically dishonored the company. Um, you know, poor yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. That seems to have been the MO for a lot of uh, stuff that pilots have seen over the years, they're not supposed to report this, this kind of phenomena, but. Yeah, and, and that's why um, I, you have the UAP hearings the, the other day. And um, John Graves is like, you know, pilots feel scared to actually report this. They're seeing all kinds of stuff in the skies, but you know, they feel that their jobs are at stake. If they report something, we need something, you know, a safe haven for them to be able to report this phenomenon without fear of losing their jobs because we've seen it happen so often in the past. Right. Right. Yeah. Hopefully it's a, a signal for a, a shifting, shifting tide for sure. Um, and maybe things will, will change. And, and as more, uh, information gets trickled down to the general public, whether they believe it or not, <laughs> yeah. which seems to be the, the general, uh, consensus of the, the populace right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, one more thing before before we go here is uh, other cryptozoology cases. Uh, is that anything you've you've looked into? I know you mentioned Thunderbirds, um, but right. are there other uh, cases up there that you've you've looked into that seem to have some merit behind them? Yeah, um, I mean, there's a lot. When we're talking about Alaska, there's there's a lot going on up there, and so I do have a chapter on it. Um, there are there are people that have uh, done entire books on uh, cryptozoology in Alaska. So I would refer people to uh, David Weatherly's book on that. Uh, very very extensive. So um, so I covered some of the you know more uh, famous cases like the Hairy Man at Fort Chatham, uh, the Lake Iliamna monster, which is basically like the Loch Ness monster of Alaska. Uh, of course, you have a lot of Sasquatch sightings, uh, the Kushtaka, which is you know, very similar to like a, uh, what we would refer to as a Wendigo uh, down in this area. So um, yeah, there's some very, very interesting tales up there of, uh, of different beings. Uh, I like some of the different giant stories uh, from up there, because you know, uh -huh. there have been discoveries of giant graves, large skulls, this sort of thing. But then also you see it embedded within, yeah, absolutely, within the uh, culture of the native Inuit. And uh, you know, I came across this, this document. I love finding old books or old documents, handwritten 500 pages um, by uh, this native Inuit back in, it was like the 1930s. And he wanted to get all these things down before he passed away. So it's really like broken English and things like that. Uh, and you're trying to make sense of what you're reading. But... Uh, he had a number of different giant tales that have been passed down uh, over the centuries uh, within the Inuit culture. And when you start looking at the, the way the stories are told, you know, you're finding that 
these uh, these beings, you know, begat with the uh, with the native Inuit women, and then these giants were born. And it's like, wait a minute, this is a story of the Nephilim that's being told here in Alaska. Wow! How in the world did that story get up here? It was yeah, absolutely fascinating to to see how. Um, that story was carried out in another part of the world that should be cut off from uh, from the Middle East, right? But there it is. Yeah, that is that's super interesting. Um, I've never run across uh, stories of giants in Alaska before, but uh, that's something to be looked into a lot further. I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I highly encourage it. It's interesting. Yeah, definitely. Well. Mike, this has been a really great and enlightening conversation. Thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, can you tell my audience uh, where the best places are to find you? Yeah, absolutely. Best place would be my website, MikeRickSecker.com. Uh, you can also go to ConnectedUniversePortal.com, which we talked about earlier. And, uh, you know, my books, of course, I link the books on all those websites. Uh, those can be found, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, wherever books are sold. And then uh, the Shadow Dimension, again, you can find that docu series. Uh, best place would be Tubi TV or the Roku channel. Um, I also have a website for that, ShadowDimension.com, which links to all the different platforms that's currently on. But um, yeah, those would be the primary places. Awesome, great, and those will be all in the show notes. Uh, so definitely check all that stuff out. And again, Mike, thank you so much for coming on today and I hope to have you back on uh, sometime in the future for uh, some updates and all the work you're doing. Absolutely. That was a great conversation. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks. Take care. Thanks again to Mike for coming on to the show. I'll have all of his links in the show notes for you all to check out. Mike has been doing so much great work and research into understanding the nature of our reality and how paranormal entities and cryptids and other stuff factors into all of it. So I can't wait to see where his research takes him next. As always, I want to give a huge thank you to everyone out there who checks out Strangeology. People who download it, share it with friends and family. It really helps me out when you do that. The Strangeology podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of listeners like you. And to all my Patreon members out there, I want to give a big shout out to all of you. Those who have supported me along the way, especially all of you who are active members. You all are amazing and your continued support helps keep the lights on at Strangeology HQ. And it's been a while since I've done a big list of names, so I figured it's the end of the year. So big shout out to Alex, Chad from Appalachian Huntsman, Mike Waddell from MetaZoo Games, Sean, Miranda, John, Marine A, Gail, Adam, Ryan, Angie, Daniel from Blue Room Insight, Easton, Guy, Megan, Jeff from Map in Black, Into the Wildwood, Miguel, Albert, Nicole, Shane from Inquiries of the Mind, Britt, Lene, Carlos, Son of the Wolf, Zach A, Ayabulela, Zach S, Laura, Scott, 
Larry, Ivan, Chris K, Kurt, Maureen M, Chris J, and Brandon. So thank you all for your support. It means the world to me. And again, if you want to join this ever-growing community of fellow lovers of the strange and unexplained, you can check it out at patreon.com forward slash strangeology. And another way to support Strangeology is through my Etsy shop over at strangeology.etsy.com. I've got a ton of merch over there with the designs ranging from cryptids to aliens and other Fortean topics. I've got t-shirts, long sleeves, sweatshirts, hoodies for apparel, as well as stickers, magnets, pins, tote bags, prints, ornaments, mugs, tumblers, drink coolers, and even blankets. I'm always looking for new and different items to add things to, which is always fun. And I am always trying to add new designs as often as I can. In fact, I just added a brand new Homestick Crypto design, the first one in quite a while to the roster of that collection. And this one is for Kentucky's Beast of LBL, Beast of the Land Between the Lakes. So definitely check that out. Again, it's strangeology.etsy.com. Also make sure to follow me over on all of my socials. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, X, and threads. I typically I'm posting short form video content, real quick snippets on different topics and cryptids. It's a lot of fun. People seem to enjoy it and I enjoy making all those short form videos. I actually just enabled subscriptions over on Instagram and Facebook. So if you follow me there and want to support me on either platform, if you're not into Patreon, you can check that out. I'm still working on setting things up, but I'm going to try to do something similar to the Patreon. We'll have things like shout outs and maybe some exclusive short form videos, or if I can figure out how to post Strangeology Beyond episodes there as well. Although I think there is a limit to how long you can post those. And those are usually at least a half an hour long. So we'll see uh, what that all entails. So just another way, if you want to support me uh, in what I do, I really appreciate it and definitely check that all out. All right. I think that's all from me for now. I'm going to take a quick break here. Mike was able to stick around for a little bit longer to chat more about his theories and personal experiences with high strangeness. You won't want to miss it. Patrons, stick with me and for everyone else. Until the next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Have a happy holiday and keep it strange.
All right, members, welcome back to Strangeology Beyond, your exclusive portion of the show. Uh, today's episode with Mike Ricksecker.